You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. Okay, we all believe, I hope, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He is the creator of all things. In Revelation 4.11 it says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So God creates all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Everything is created by God. So he is the creator. He creates everything by his word of command. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The universe was created by a set of instructions from God. God spoke and it happened. And he gave instructions. Think of it as a computer program. A computer program is a set of instructions. But in God's set of instructions, there are no bugs. When he had finished, he said, it is good and it is very good. There were no bugs in God's code. When he rolled out the laws of the universe, when he rolled out the symmetry that we see in crystals, when he put together the idea of a DNA molecule, or of a planet. God's instructions were perfect, for they came from a perfect mind and a perfect understanding. And when he spoke that set of instructions into being, the planets moved in their orbits, the deep went where it was supposed to go, and everything worked according to the functions of God. For it came from his mind, it came from his heart, it came from the depth of his wisdom and being, and he created this marvelous universe because he wanted it to be just so. And the deeper you study science, the deeper that you look into the things of this world, that if you look into the mitochondria inside of a cell, if you look at the way that the stars and the black holes function, if you look at the nature of light or of water, we are astonished. And we never get to the end of our knowledge. In the last couple of years, they've found two new organs in the human body. You'd think you'd know every organ in the human body, but they found a new large organ in the brain and one that's just under the skin with the lymph. Two new organs in the human body in the last few years. We are forever discovering things that we thought we knew. Where they found out the new thing about water a few months ago, that there are actually two kinds of water in water, two different structures going along. Everything, the things that are commonplace, we are astonished because God has built an infinite complexity into his world because he is incredibly and vastly wise. Why did he do this? He created this universe for his son. In Colossians 1, 15 to 17, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus, the Son of God, is the recipient of the universe. God created the universe for him. He created the universe through him and for him, and in him all things hold together. 
God made a perfect gift for his perfect son. God loved Jesus with such passion that he created the universe for Jesus. So I have an infinite son, a son who was infinitely good, who his whole heart loves and cherishes. So he said, what can I give my son? I will make an infinite universe for my infinite son. With billions of galaxies, with planets, with all these things, everything, even in heaven and on earth, thrones of dominions, angels, everything is made for Jesus and gives glory to Jesus, who is the Lamb at the center of the throne. And so he is the firstborn. He is the inheritor of all things in creation. He wants to give this to Jesus as an inheritance. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So Jesus inherits all things. He inherits heaven. He inherits earth. He inherits the church. He inherits you and I. He inherits New York and Los Angeles. He inherits everything. He is the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And the next verse says, and, it will, and this world is sustained by the word of his glorious power. Jesus is not just some guy walking around in beard, you know, with a beard and sandals with a lamb over his shoulder. Jesus is the recipient of the universe. Jesus is the one through whom God made the world. He is the word. He is the very deep nature of creation is Christ. Now here comes the surprise. Creation was made for the co-heirs. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Jesus inherits the universe, but we inherit the universe with Jesus. That universe is ultimately made for the elect, for the church, for the people who are redeemed. You and I will inherit Jupiter and Pluto and the Andromeda galaxy and all those things out there. Ultimately, in the ages to come, we will occupy them. Ultimately, in the ages to come, with our eternal life, we will not be sitting on a cloud with a harp. We will be taking over worlds and galaxies. We will be creating civilizations because our heart will have been perfected and we will be good rulers and we will rule and reign with Christ across the entire universe after we've had a practice session of a thousand years here on earth called the millennium. We rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. That's just our tutorial. That's just getting us ready for when we inherit the entire vastness of all creation with Christ. And for ages to come, God will demonstrate his wisdom and his mercy in taking sinners like us and turning us into glorious immortal beings with resurrection bodies, spiritual bodies, bodies that glow, immortal, imperishable, bodies that can, can travel faster than the speed of light through the spiritual realms, out to a place a hundred million light years away and land there and transform a planet. We will be people possessed of the powers of God, helping him to subdue all creation because we are the co-heirs 
of God's universe. The universe is made for liberation. At the moment, the universe is in a mess because of our sin and because of the activity of Satan and so on and so forth. And here uh, Paul talks about it and he says, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us for the creation eagerly awaits with an anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. That's us. We will be revealed at the resurrection. Okay. For the creation was subjected to futility, and that's where it is now. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labour pains until now. When you think of that pollution patch in the Pacific Ocean, all the plastic is gone. When you see hillsides barren, because all the trees have been logged by people who are greedy. When you see the wildfires taking over Indonesia because people are just burning things down for greed and, and, and avarice and great holes in the ground where people have just left a mess after they've mined things. Creation groans and, and there are droughts and there are floods and there are earthquakes because it is subjected to the powers of sin and that God's glory is not yet resident upon earth. But when God comes back, when the heavenly Zion descends, when the heavenly Jerusalem comes down, the dwelling place of God will be with men. God will come and dwell here on earth in a big city, 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. And that will be universe central. And when that happens, there will be a renewal and a liberation of creation. It will be explode. The first explosion will be during the millennium here on earth. And then it will explode through the rest of creation. And there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And the barren places of the universe will be opened up to the glory of God. And I used to think when I was, you know, I always have these complicated questions. And I think to myself, somewhere out in the universe there is an asteroid. And on this large asteroid there is a cave. And in the cave there was a rock. And in my mind I thought, what a meaningless rock. No one will ever see that rock. What's the purpose of that rock? Well, that rock is there for the glory of God. That rock is there for Jesus. God created the rock in the cave and the asteroid for his purposes. And in the ages to come, that will not be a meaningless rock. It will have meaning. It will glow with spirituality. We will know why the apparently meaningless parts of the universe are there. But it will take many, many ages for these things to work out according to the glory and the plans of God. The universe is now created for reconciliation. Talking about Jesus, back to Colossians. He, Jesus, is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might have come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Now we think about reconciliation as just being human beings. But he says everything, things on earth or things in heaven, everything gets brought back into alignment with Jesus. Everything gets brought back into alignment with heaven. There are no howling deserts that feel evil and creepy. All that is brought back into alignment with God. The dark places of the earth, the vanquished, the places of horror and torment are taken over. There are no longer places full of uh, 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 of 
places where people are tortured or, or trafficked. They're dealt with. All the curses on the land from violence, they're dealt with. Everything is reconciled back to God through the work of the cross. The cross is cosmic. The cross is not just something for you and I. The cross is something for Jesus. It's something for the angels. It's something that angels long to look into. It's something that brings all of creation back to God. And it, is a, it was because Jesus is infinite, his death has infinite effects and eternal effects. Okay, the, the universe was made by God to be inhabited. Well, this is what the Lord says. God is the creator of the heavens. He formed the earth and made it. He established it, but he did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. And says, I am Yahweh, or I am the Lord, and there is no other. God is a God of life. God is the living God. He does not create things to be desolate and uninhabited and howling with meaninglessness. God created this world to be inhabited, to have children and old men playing together in the streets, to, to have young men and young women being happy together, to have angels coming in and, 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 and inhabiting a place and filling it with glory and light and worship. This whole universe is made to be inhabited. Obviously, it is not. And some parts of the universe maybe have to, uh, might be so far out that we have to inhabit them in spiritual bodies and not in physical bodies. We don't know. That's speculative. But this universe is meant to glow with love. God is love. He created the universe out of love for his son. And this universe is supposed to be filled with love. And it will be. And the glory and plans of God. And he's redeemed you and I to be the people that go out and share God's love with people and later with all creation. That's why Mark says, preach the gospel to all creation. So the universe is made, of course, for the sons of God. For it was fitting that he, that's Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Saying, I will tell of your name among my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given. So we are the children of God. We are the brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ. We inherit creation with him as the eldest capital S son. And we are the sons, small s, and, and daughters of the living God. We inherit this creation. And he is not ashamed to call you and I brothers and sisters. He loves us. He died for us. He is not ashamed of you. He is not ashamed of me. He is not ashamed of Minda. He is not ashamed of Pastor Ken. He is not ashamed of anybody. He wants us, the redeemed, in his family. And he has included us in a family, a royal family, that will go out and share God's love with the entire universe and which will be his source of power and love and glory in, both in heaven and on earth. For Abraham, God made the universe, strangely enough, for Abraham. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law but through the righteousness that comes by faith. God promised Abraham the world. And we as his spiritual descendants enter into that promise and into that covenant, not by being good boys and girls, not by the righteousness that through the law, but through 
faith. This is God's plan of salvation. It's big, it's different, but it's powerful. So what about us? Giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. And then it talks of the angels. Are they not all ministering spirits set out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? So where are we? The redeemed. God, the sons of God, the angels are our servants. They are mighty, but they are our servants. And then the rest of humanity and then creation. We have an inheritance in the light, in God, and we are served by angels to come into redemption. This is part of God's stunning plan. Now, I'm sharing these things that seem big and seem abstract and seem difficult because I want you to fit the rest of your doctrines and the rest of your understanding of Christianity into it. You've got to understand where the cross fits into the plan of salvation, where the resurrection fits into the plan of salvation, where you fit into the plan of salvation. I don't want you to have some sort of higgledy-piggledy Christian faith that's John 3.16 plus the T-shirt plus a song. I want you to have something that's bigger. I want you to grasp the big plan. Once you grasp the big plan, once you grasp the strategy, once you can see what the generals are doing, then it's easier to be a private or a corporal or a sergeant or a captain in the army. But until you know where God is going, you're going to be very, very confused. You see, the game we play here on earth of let's, let's live a nice life, let's have a nice house, let's make sure that everything goes nicely, that is a very small part of the game. Yes, it's good. Yes, God does bless you, and God will answer your prayers. But that's this much of the game. The game is this big. And there are some people in other countries, they become Christians, and they have terrible lives. They're persecuted. They're cast down. They're stomped on. They're executed and things like that. You say, well, what use is God to them? What use is God to the martyrs if they get, they're not lives, they're not blessed, if they're, they're brutally isolated and, and tortured and killed? The thing is they're coming into an inheritance in the saints in light. And when we look at the book of Revelation, the inheritance of the martyrs is a glorious inheritance. So that, and that's why it says in Matthew, when you were insulted and persecuted for the kingdom of God, rejoice. Because great is your reward in heaven. The reward in heaven is not some con job to get you to behave. The reward in heaven is what you're going to be experiencing for ages and ages to come. It's what the game is about. That thing that you inherit, your inheritance is the most important part of your Christian life. Which is why it says in Corinthians, it says, If you do these things and these sins and these sins, you'll have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. What you, what you are aiming at as a Christian is that inheritance where you do good works, where you walk in good works. You are saved by faith, but your inheritance and your good works should adorn your life in such a way that when you get to heaven, you've worked with gold and silver and precious stones. It survived the fire. You've come to God with something worthwhile and you have an inheritance. And God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And there's people that get, that, that get one city and five cities and ten cities and so on. So we are, we are moving forward to our glorious inheritance in the light. And that is the main thing. Coming into your resurrection inheritance, that is the main thing. Not just getting into heaven, that's important. But getting into heaven is like getting into the, the mall 
If you don't have anything inheritance, you can't buy anything in the mall. You can walk around and look through the window. That's all. And you need to have an inheritance in glory. And that comes from a life adorned with compassion and good works and love and the fruit of the Spirit. And that, that is why the angels are sent to us, because they want us to have a glorious inheritance. Let's, talk, let's look at 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection is the gateway to the, the new world, to the inheritance. And into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being protected by God's power through faith through a, for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last days or the last time. So we come into an inheritance that's not just a plot of land or a million dollars or whatever. It's an imperishable, uncorrupted and unfading inheritance that those of faith, those who walk with God, come into. And he says to the persecuted Christians that he's writing to, hey, hang on there. Hang on there because you're not just getting blessed here and now. It's not just a prosperity gospel of you know, name and claim your red Mercedes. Uh, nothing wrong with having a red Mercedes. But that's not what the gospel's about. Right? The gospel is about your internal reward. The inheritance is for the overcomers. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. The victor will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. So he says, look, I am making everything new. Then what do we inherit? We inherit the everything. We, we, we say, the victor will inherit these things. What things? The things that God has made new. The new heavens and the new earth. The victor, the overcomer. When you overcome your resentment, you overcome your greed, you overcome your lust and your frustration and your fury, when you overcome the things that drag you down in life, then you inherit the things of God, the new things of God, the things of the kingdom, the things of glory. And when you overcome what your natural human self wants to do, and you forgive, and you love, and you're gracious, and you're kind, you are starting to inherit the things that God has prepared for you. And it says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, For eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the mind of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We cannot comprehend, we can only know them by faith. But God has revealed them to us in his, by his Spirit. That's uh, 1 Corinthians 2.10. God will reveal to you that it's worth it. God will reveal to you that the current sufferings and struggles of life are worth it. Some of us that go into the ministry have a tough time, but, and we think, is it worth it? Is it worth the sacrifice? Minda and I are fine, but I know of other people who have struggled greatly in the ministry. Uh, and is it worth it is a real question for them. Why did I go out to here or to there? Why did they take that small church in North Dakota, the church that really couldn't pay them a proper salary? They're there in the middle of nowhere in a cold church, in a cold place, trying to make ends meet without health insurance and stuff like that. Is it worth it? Why did they do that? Why did they go to Bible college? But in the end, it will be worth it. Because they must overcome. And when they overcome, 
they will receive a glorious inheritance of the faithful saints. God wants to give us all things. 1 Corinthians 3, 21 to 23. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, or the present or the future, all things are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God. Uh, and then Romans 8, 31, 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, all things are ours, whether life or death, present or future. Or we are Christ, Christ is God. Everything in the universe comes to us through Christ, all things. God will graciously give us, freely give us, for being in Christ, he will give us all things. I'll give you this illustration. I've done it before, but I'll just remind you of it. This is, say my pen is the Christian, and my Bible is Christ. Right? And I am put into Christ. And now the Christian is in Christ. So Christ dies, and we die with Christ. We die to sin, we die to the law, we die to the world, all the seven things that Christians die to. When Christ rises, we rise with Christ to new life in Christ. When Christ ascends into heaven, the Christian is seated in heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. One, uh, Ephesians 2, 6 and 7. We're seated there. Our life is hidden in, uh, in, with, God, with Christ in God. We're, our life is hidden there. Our real life is a heavenly life and we are now citizens of heaven because Christ has ascended and we are in Christ. And then Christ returns with thousands and thousands of his holy ones to earth. And we return with Christ to, with the new Jerusalem. And we occupy earth. And we are here on earth. We have returned with Christ. And Christ inherits the universe. And we inherit the universe with him. Because we are in Christ. Well, what's my ballpoint pen doing? Nothing. It has not done one thing to earn the death of Christ the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, or the return of Christ. None of that. It is all because we are in Christ. God has graciously given you all things because he has predestined from the beginning of the world for those who believe in him to share his glory. Think of it like this. There are two train lines. One train goes up to heaven and one other train line goes right down to hell. Each of those train lines is predestined because if you get the destination of this train is heaven and always will be heaven. The destination of this train is hell and it will always be hell. But we can choose. While the trains are going parallel to each other, we can choose which train to be on. I, I can choose whether I go to Seattle or San Diego on Amtrak. I have that choice. And I can choose to get on the heaven-bound train. I can choose to be in Christ. And when I'm in Christ, I go where Christ goes. Right? He's on the way to heaven, and I go there. And I'm so much in Christ that when, when Paul was persecuting the church, Jesus says, why do you persecute me? Because when you persecute the pen, you persecute Christ. We're on the train. We're on that heaven-bound train. And someone else can say, no, I don't want Christ. I'm going to get on the hell-bound train. And they go down to hell because of stubbornness and rebellion. But for those who are on the heaven-bound train, we go to the inheritance, we go to glory, we have that resurrection body that's coming our way. We go to a place of immense power and glory 
that our minds cannot understand in this small world. For God has created all things for us who get on that heaven-bound train. This is done according to his plan. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He's predestined these paths. We choose which path we're on. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, was sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we haven't acquired possession of the inheritance yet. That comes at the resurrection. But our deposit, our testimony that that's true, is the Holy Spirit in your heart. He seals it and he says to us, yes, you're a son of God. Abba, Father, you're the child of God. We know that we are children of God because of the spirit that is within us. Yes, that inheritance is real. And he will testify to you in the darkest days of your Christian life, it's going to be worth it. It's going to turn out. It's going to be all right because you're coming into glory. The light afflictions of this life are nothing compared to the glory that is to be revealed to you. Hope on glory. Get some of those old hymns that talk about heaven. This is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Because you're God's child. You're on God's train. You're in God's plan. And you're going to be an heir of God's universe. Okay. The worship team can come up. Now I'm going to ask you as the worship team comes up, I'm going to ask you to rev it up. Right? Glorify God, who's got an inheritance for you, who's planned from the beginning of time to give you all things through redemption, to, to take and liberate this universe, and to give it all to Christ, His beloved Son. Today's sermon has been big. It's a framework sermon. Perhaps you don't quite understand it all, but I hope some of it sunk in. God is good. God has good plans. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.